um, except for the walking meditations. <laughs> and then uh, other people can use it if they want. So just so you know. So I'd like to get into the discourse. It's called the Anapanasati Sutta. And it's in the collection of discourse courses called the Middle Length Sayings. And the Pali for that is the Majima Nikaya. And if you, you can go to the bookstore, it's almost three inches thick. Um, and it's number uh, 118 in that collection of the Middle Length Discourses, the Majima Nikaya, Mindfulness of Breathing, the Anapanasati Sutta. The word um, <clears throat> uh, Anapana refers to breathing. And then sati is mindfulness. So that's why it's the mindfulness of breathing, anapana, sati, sutta. Oops. Too bad. That might affect the day. Anyways, a little cut off there. So <clears throat> this sutta, one of the nice things about the structure of this sutta is that um, it's built on a lot of fours. And... Um, if you know this tradition, you know that the Buddha made tons of lists and all the lists open up into other lists and lists and lists. And that's done so that um, people could memorize it. And the ed educational system that's still popular in many traditional cultures and definitely in East Asia is that you memorize things so that they're accessible to you anytime you want. So you would spend time memorizing this sutta, then you would go off and then you would have it accessible because you had memorized it which is why it has certain structures in it that make it easy to memorize. And this sutta, there's a lot of fours that's in structures of four. This sutta, the mindfulness of breathing, is a very detailed um, discourse on how to use mindfulness of breathing. The other sutta called the Four Foundations of Mindfulness is another very detailed meditative manual, another discourse also in this collection of middle length um, discourses. And these two really are um, the two discourses that I know of that go through sort of a, an A to Z how, for wherever you're starting, how to progress through and use these techniques to further liberate yourself and find more contentment and happiness and untangle your hearts and minds from their patterns. And the four foundations of mindfulness appear within this discourse, actually a part of the Anapanasati Sutta. And this practice of mindfulness of breathing appears in the Four Foundations of Mindfulness discourse. So if you actually have done some study or if you ever do some study, you'll see that there's a lot of overlap between these two discourses because they're both so central to how the Buddha wanted us to untangle ourselves and to finally come to full uh, awakening. But along the way, you end up using the breath to go through the Four Foundations of Mindfulness and the Four Foundations are there to give purpose to why we're spending so much time um, coming into the body, coming into the breath. So the discourse begins, like many of them, with a prologue. This has kind of a, a nice prologue, and we'll get into it in a sec. Um, then this discourse has the 16 steps of developing mindfulness of breathing, which is really nice. That is that sort of graduated stepping your way in. Um, and developing your practice through these 16 steps. And 16 is four groups of four, so you'll see that. The next part of the discourse is going through uh, how to use mindfulness in a way that liberates. 
And so mindfulness has actually become, um, in the last five years, mindfulness has sort of like, has spread through our North American and European cultures. Um, and people are using mindfulness for all kinds of reasons to their benefit. So this mindfulness, the ability to be intimate with present time experiences, that's how I'm calling mindfulness, uh, just give it short, this intimacy with what's happening now and now being able to really experience it. It turns out that that's a great capacity for driving and for childcare and for running a corporation and working as a nurse in a hospital and doing prison reform and you know picking up shells on the beach and anything you would be doing, being present, intimate with your firsthand experience is great and surprising that this is now like news to people. <laughs> uh, but it could be because we've lost it. We're, it could be that we're getting so busy that now this seems revolutionary to be present, um, to be radically present. But in that, people are using mindfulness for many different purposes. And the Buddha saw a benefit of that, but he also wanted to use mindfulness specifically, specifically to challenge uh, habits and patterns that we're lost in, and we may not even know that we're lost in them. So we'll get into that a little bit too, which is why we use um, the 16 steps of developing mindfulness of breathing to then go deep into the four foundations of mindfulness. That's a classic teaching on how we untangle the confusions that we have. And then the last part of the structure of the Anapanasati Sutta is talking about the seven factors of awakening. And this is a list of mental qualities that we want to actually begin to develop so that we have penetrative insight, that we really have a game-changing understanding, that we have um, some, an epiphany, that you don't go back into an old way of thinking. And so many of us do go back into old habits, and maybe slowly we're developing a new understanding of how to be in the world, uh, valuing the breath, valuing presence, um, building your capacity, but sometimes you can have radical insights. And then you really can talk about before and after your life because of some particular experience you had can really can change you. And it turns out these seven factors of mind um, and heart are the factors the Buddha pulled out and said, when these are strong, you have these life-changing insights. So they, they come at the end of this sutta. They also come at the end of the other sutta mindfulness, um, the four foundations of mindfulness sutta, and they're kind of woven all throughout his teachings. Some of you may have never heard of this particular list. It doesn't necessarily come up um, on shorter retreats, but uh, this list ends up being important um, in uh, the Buddha's classical teachings, his traditional teachings, the seven factors of awakening, also called the seven factors of enlightenment sometimes. So this is the structure. That's the full structure. It's four parts of the Anapanasati Sutta. And we're going to move into practice soon, <laughs> in case you're wondering. Um, <clears throat> but to begin with the prologue, actually it's a very beautiful prologue. Um, and not every sutta does. Sometimes they have a very brief prologue. Sometimes the Buddha walks right into his teaching. But in the middle-length discourses, sometimes the sutta is long enough to have a bit of a, a setup. And the setup is, <clears throat> um, there's a beautiful image that is painted here. So he's in, a, he's in an area um, of northern India, and he's surrounded by many of his major disciples. And so the discourse describes, um, here is Mahakasapa, here is Moggallana, here is Sariputta, 
Um, he, he mentions many of them, Ananda, his faithful attendant. He's surrounded by them. And he looks around and he sees uh, a group of practitioners are working with one teacher here, another group are practicing there. And he sort of pervades all these people are very engaged in practice. And then he says, um, you know, he's sort of describing this scene. Um, and he begins the discourse by saying, here among you, he's talking to the, now he gets everybody's attention. And so he's in a crowd of people experienced practitioners like today. Um, and this may be the one difference is he said, among us are arahants, <laughs> among us are the fully awakened. And I said, you know, I'm open to that. Um, and the graciousness of you joining us on your Saturday. Um, but where else would you rather be, right? If you're fully awakened. They said, among us are the arahants whose um, all of the corruptions of their mind have been destroyed. Among us are non-returners. So I'm going to go through a list describing specific stages of awakening. And again, this list might be new to you. Um, but it says, among us are people who are, uh, will never return to the human plane. That if they die in this plane, they'll be reborn somewhere um, on a higher plane. And they have uh, removed many tenacious corruptions in their mind. Uh, among us are once-returners, people who will only be reborn once. And among us are stream entrants, people who have glimpsed Nibbana, Nirvana, people who have had incredible insight and um, won't ever fall back um, fully into the, the deep confusions that keep us lost for years, if not lifetimes, if you have that belief system. And then he <clears throat> looks around and he said, but there are also people who are practicing heading in that direction and they're practicing the four foundations of mindfulness. They're practicing um, developing their hearts and minds in these various ways. They're practicing the uh, four brahma viharas, these beautiful heart qualities of loving kindness and compassion, uh, empathetic joy, equanimity. They're doing reflections on impermanence. They're meditating on um, the limitations of uh, sensual pleasure. And he said, and there are also people who are already engaged in mindfulness of breathing. So he isn't introducing mindfulness of breathing here, but he's talking to a very experienced crowd. And he's going to lay out um, how to use mindfulness of breathing and really describe the entire path um, up to full awakening. Um, but anyways, he's, he's talking to a very experienced crowd. And then he gets into the... Um, the developing of these 16 steps of uh, the practice. <clears throat> so the 16 steps. The first four steps of these classical 16 are working with the body, working with this uh, physical body we find ourselves in and the breath within the body. So that's the, the preliminary steps of working with mindfulness of breathing. It's just how to find the right relationship to having this physical body. The next group of four is working with mental activity. And again, sorry, it's cut off there. But um, once we settle in with the body, we can then, as the body becomes more peaceful and more settled, we can then begin uh, quieting and working with the habits and patterns of mind, all the kind of the, the tumult of mental activity. <laughs> 
The next group of four is developing qualities of mind. So once we can kind of soften all the, the turbulence and all the preoccupations of the mind, we can then begin developing peacefulness and concentration and buoyancy and uh, spaciousness inside. That's hard to do when the mind is really caught up in its agitating activities. So this is the stepping in process, first with the body, then with mental activity, then developing these beautiful qualities of mind. As those become more settled, then we can have uh, the last four are developing liberating insights. And <clears throat> all the way down through this, as your mind begins to understand, as you begin to understand, it's the settledness is preferable to all the stressful agitation. That's a liberating insight. So liberating insights happen all the way down through. But when the mind has been deeply settled and is, um, is very present with, his, with the flow of experience, it is a chance to see the nature of experience, the nature of how the mind gets tripped up, how it's freed. So there's more room for these radical insights to come when the heart and the mind have been more settled, more opened, more collected. Um, up until that, you're kind of learning how to use your mind more productively in a worldly sense. But then when you can really settle yourself, into that can come um, more profound insights into just the nature of life itself. And that doesn't happen so much if the mind is uh, dreary or agitated or tired or um, scattered. It's harder for those deep epiphanies to arise in us. So we're going to practice these uh, 16 steps throughout the day. So the first one, working with the body, you have uh, these really these first two. And if you, when you get into the sutta, you see uh, sitting down, practicing meditation. We see the uh, breathing in a long breath, one knows one's breathing in a long breath, breathing out a long breath, one knows one's bringing, breathing out a long breath. And the same with a short breath. So these first two instructions of the 16, what they're asking you to do is to come in, close your eyes, and become aware of this breathing process. So you become aware just that you're breathing at all is a starting point. But in these first two years, you're guided to see um, what is the quality of each breath. And what that does is that allows you not to become um, uh, into a med meditative sleepiness or a meditative trance, where you're definitely with the breath, but you're no longer exploring the breath. And that happens a lot. It's kind of a peaceful state where you can turn off the, the world and settle in and you're aware of the breath, but since one breath is so similar to a next, you lose intimacy and you just go into kind of a checked out tranquility. And what these first two stages ask you to do is to know the length of your breath, which means that you have to pay attention for from the very beginning to the very end to know if it was a long or short breath. And then to know, like snowflakes, no two breaths are actually alike. So you're in there um, asked to be um, fresh with each breath that comes. That really is the most important part of these first two steps. There are, um, like I said, you can travel around Burma and find that every, every monastery you go to, 
um, when they practice mindfulness of breathing, they might have a different interpretation on these first two steps. And really all 16, they might have a radically different interpretation. They have the same poly language that they're interpreting, but then they've taken it in different ways. Because most people stay in the village that they're born in, and most people practice within the monasteries around that, all the different regions of Burma, let alone Thailand and Sri Lanka and other places where this tradition has been, you can have people who have gravitated to using their breath slightly different ways, and that's worked for them. So then you have different interpretations that have sprung up. So you can go to some schools in Burma where um, they interpret this long breath and short breath where you're supposed to create long breathing, and then you're supposed to create rapid breathing. Not many of the traditions that we practice within um, take that as, a, as an absolute, but there are some monasteries where they really make the breath long, make the breath short. Um, mostly this is interpreted, as I said earlier, as just uh, knowing each breath fresh as it comes and not getting into this complacency because one breath is so similar to the next, you could check out and nobody would really know. You just sort of like, yeah, I'm breathing, but you know, who's really, who's gonna know if I just take a little snooze? <laughs> until I get into that uh, rocking phase. <clears throat> so knowing the length of your breath, then we get into an inter interesting shift, knowing the whole body. So you're in the, you start with the breath, but most people actually can't feel their bodies. They can feel their breath, but if you ask them to feel other parts of their bodies, like I know I have an arm, I couldn't tell you what it's feeling. I just know I have one. So you start with the breath because it's a large target and then you can actually open up into feeling the whole of your body while you're breathing. Different traditions will interpret this differently, different Theravadan traditions. For some, they say you're supposed to, again, know the whole length of your breath. And what they mean here is the breath body, because they're really going for a very intensive concentration form. Other people have said you're supposed to, you can actually breathe your awareness up and down your body. And so, because you're working with breath, when you know the whole body, you're supposed to know it in conjunction with this breathing process. And they train in that. They will breathe in their awareness up their leg and then out this arm and then this arm and that leg and all these different directions to know their whole body combined with their breath. And it turns out that that works for some people. And so there's a whole tradition around that. They probably shouldn't say they're the right one, that they said this is what the Buddha really meant, but it turns out that it works for them to do that. What I have found is that if I put in a lot of effort to know my breath, sometimes I get a little bit goal-oriented to not wander, and I put a little grip on the breath, and I, and I try to exclude other experiences to support my connection with the breath, and that creates a slight tension if I lose an awareness of my body, it's okay if the body becomes um, not chosen by my attention, but if I'm intentionally pushing against awareness of the body, I create tensions and um, unnecessary uh, exclusions with my attention. So how I interpret this now, what feels actually more healthy is that I'm aware of my breath in and out. I get to know the breath. And then I just make sure that I'm not creating tension anywhere in my body with my attitude. And so I become aware of the whole body. While I'm breathing, I'm aware of my legs. While I'm breathing, I'm aware of my arms. While I'm leaving, breathing, I'm aware of my back. 
oh yeah, I can kind of feel my whole body and the breath is arising within my awareness of the body. Here's this beautiful breath. When I can do that more global awareness with the breath sort of in the center, I find my mind is spacious but also has a, a focal point. The breath is the focal point, but there's a kind of an acceptance, a tolerance of um, things beyond the breath, like sounds, the rest of my body, not creating a, I can't be with sound, I must be with the breath, that creates tension sometimes. So becoming aware of the whole body after being aware of the breath, I find it's harmonizing for my body, it's harmonizing for my mind. But I wouldn't say this is what the Buddha meant because it works for me. <laughs> it just works for me. And it's where I try to guide other people so they don't create too much tension around being loyal to the breath and therefore getting a little bit goal-oriented and frustrated and pushing just the breath. Be aware, be, um, have the body be available to your awareness and check it out. So you do breathing awareness and then at times be aware of the body. And then calming any bodily activities. The word is uh, kaya sankaras. And the word sankara is all the doings, it's all the machinery, it's all the achievement-oriented mind. You find that you have mental patterns where you're just, you're unaware that, I'm aware that I have a body, but my shoulders are pinched. I'm aware that I have a body, but I'm gripping my fists. I'm aware that I have a body, but clenching my jaw. I might find that unconsciously there's a lot of activity in the body. So first I become aware of the body, and then I invite the body to relax. I invite the body into a more peaceful state. This pattern is repeated throughout many of the texts on mindfulness. First, you become aware of something before you try to alter it. You learn to accept and be intimate with what's happening before you try to change it, because if you change it too quickly, you might not have really understood what's happening, and you might just have a type of reflexive per preference to make this happen versus that. And that keeps the mind in a doing, um, manipulating, manufacturing mode. So first become aware of the body, invite it to be calm. And that happens in other places with mindfulness. First be aware of what's happening before you try to intervene on it. And then you'll find that, that intervention is more balanced, less compulsive, less driven. So that's changing an underlying habit and pattern of the mind. Awareness first, then inviting it to be more calm, more tranquil. So uh, let's practice this. And in practicing it, let's just stand up for a second, give our bodies a little bit of ease if they need them. What we're going to do is um, about a half hour sitting. We'll do a little. Uh, questions about your experience, then we'll do some walking practice after that just to give you an idea of the activities that we're about to get into. If you create a new file. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.